Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, true stories, and current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 40 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom along with the rest of the crew, and it's our pleasure to present our latest show. Our musical guests are Lucky and the Kid, also known as Picker Dan Bilger and Barry Elkins. We have an interview, and we'll hear three of their tunes. Jeff Tryon brings us The Last House in Brown County, and Dave Seastrom shares another essay. We have another episode of For a Song from Carrie Ray. Vera Grubbs interviews local artist Aaron Redman, and Keith Bradway tells us about the writer's group, Raps. Gunther Flum shares another poem. We have another missive from Rick Fedig, and we'll read the community calendar. We begin with our interview with Lucky and the Kid, and we'll hear one of their tunes. Jeff Tryon brings us another selection from his series, My Brown County, entitled The Last House in Brown County. pleasure to have Barry Elkins and Dan Bilger with us uh, in their combination they're called Lucky and the Kid so who's Lucky and who's the Kid? I'm Lucky, I'm Dan and I'm Lucky. That's good. And it's age before beauty. Well I can see that and unfortunately the radio audience will be spared. So you guys just reeled off some real hot numbers for us here in our studio really enjoyed the music uh so what what's up with lucky and the kid is this just one more little grouping i mean if you're not in the lightning the white lightning boys or following keenan rainwater around or well we figured this way we you know we can play a, a venue two or three times where they figure out who we are and you know they're hiring us, you know <laughs> right so they, they think they're getting new guys every time yeah, exactly well that way we don't have to just stick to strictly bluegrass we can play whatever we want is why we're doing yeah, that. Yeah, Barry and I love to play together, and it gives us an opportunity to do that when otherwise things might not line up for that, you know, for for the whole band or whatever. We can get gigs that don't pay as much or whatever. And, you know, well, the whole to... band's like herding cats. Exactly. It's easier just the two of us. Playing in bands, but duets are easier to manage. For uh-huh. some well, both you guys play with everyone, mm-hmm. as near as I can tell. Well, We try to. Well, well, the more people you play with, you can broaden your horizons. Well, there you go. But you're, I mean, honestly, you're in all of the local favorites. Um, and I guess that makes both of you local favorites then. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Certainly been my viewpoint. You guys lining up gigs? Where can we hear you next? Lucky and the Kid have a Facebook page yet or a website? or Actually, we do. That We had the that before we had anything else because that was the easiest 
way to uh, we actually have form a band way. <laughs> we have an official Lucky the Kid oh, yeah. thing. I, oh, yeah. I wouldn't wear it. Yeah. I'm a techno waif. I don't mess with the internet oh. or any of that stuff. Oh, actually, I just started. My wife set me up a Facebook page, I think, to keep tabs on me. You know, you guys have been playing together for years. How, how did you meet? How did all of this start? Bean Blossom. Okay. Bill Monroe's around the campfire, you know, picking circles. I mean, that's the best part about Bean Blossom is all the different people you get to meet. And the parking lot picking is where it's at anyway, you know, for me. I can't remember where I first saw the White Lighting Boys or ran into some of them or was picking with some of them somewhere, but I, I knew about them and I, and I knew Barry sort of by reputation. And then one day I was at Bean Blossom and I saw Barry carrying a guitar up that road from behind the stage to Hippie Hill. And I just snuck up, sidled up next to him, asked him if I could carry his guitar for him, and I've been doing that a lot ever since. since. Pretty much ever, ever since. since. And, that, and that first night was memorable because it was Jimmy Barton's last show at Bean Blossom before he had passed. I think that was the year or two after that, because you were actually playing with us by then. Well, then, I believe. see, it all runs together. It's been so long. Yeah, it's been no, 10 years or so. Well, I was trying to segue into the great Jimmy Martin story about <laughs> Barry that he's trying to sidetrack. So yeah, Jimmy yeah, Martin. I'll, I'll let him. Me. I'll let him tell it. No, you go ahead and tell it. You tell it better than I do. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Martin, real famous uh, bluegrass or the king of bluegrass and a huge uh, star in the industry. After his show, the White Lighting Boys were picking around the campfire on Hippie Hill. The fellow that owns the park and Jimmy Martin rolled in on a golf cart, spied a large container of whiskey asked for a sip and immediately took off with it. <laughs> yeah that was the first thing he come and took a fifth of old granddad drank that and went and done his show then he came back later on that night whenever he walked up to our circle he got mad at me because i wouldn't give him my chair he walked up and i was sitting down he wanted me to get up and give him you know, give him the chair and i didn't do it now he's he, already stole your whiskey and he didn't like it oh i'm getting to the good part and then uh so we played a few songs around and around. We had a half a gallon of Jim Beam, you know. And I know everybody's probably heard the story about Jimmy Martin and how they wouldn't have him on the Grand Old Opry and all this and that and the other. Well, he starts into telling that story about how they wouldn't have him on the Grand Old Opry. And he's holding our half a gallon of Jim Beam the whole time. I, I swear to you, this is exactly how it went. He said, they wouldn't have me on the Opry because they said I was an alcoholic, and I ain't no alcoholic. Where's that bottle at? <laughs> I swear, just like that. Uh huh. Actions speak louder than words. Oh yeah. All right. Well, we're still not getting to the punchline here, where he wanted Barry, uh, the mandolin player, who he didn't know was Barry. He just looked over, saw a mandolin player who he already didn't like, and wanted him to kick off the Bill Monroe song that Barry wasn't familiar with. And Barry said politely, "I don't know it." James King, who is another bluegrass star, was sitting there with with us between Barry and. Jimmy Martin. And Jimmy Martin went off on Barry. You don't know Bill Monroe? What do you mean you don't know Bill Monroe? And it went on to the point where James King had to lean over and say, Jimmy, Jimmy, he knows who Bill Monroe is. He just don't know the song. And so, once to Barry's chagrin, I love to tell that story because he was berated by the king. I think that was the last, I think that's the last time he played anywhere. That was the last time that he was, was singing in thing. public was with us around that campfire so the, before he passed away. So the Jim Beam finally got him then. Something got him. I think he was a high Bad mileage squirrel model. gravy or something. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a great one, too, the squirrel gravy. He invited us all to breakfast the next morning. We go up there. 
the squirrel gravy still had hair in I mean there was hair oh, squirrel hairs in the gravy uh, and it I mean it was the nastiest stuff you ever tasted in your life and everybody else was just loving it because it was Jimmy Martin you know so it, it involves famous bluegrass performers squirrel hair and whiskey mm-hmm. it's pretty close I mean, yeah what more could you ask for no no I'd say that's a perfect combination tell me about this mysterious group boxcar Annie's Mm. That's my daughter and one of her friends. Relatively young. I don't know. My daughter, she grew up around, you know, me dragging her around where the kids were little, you know, playing all over the place. And uh, I guess it just rubbed off on her. She seems to be the only one that's taken to it, but she plays guitar and sings and writes songs, you know. You know, her and her friend, Gabrielle. They've played a few gigs, Pine Room, here and there, you know, the, the Playhouse. They're just, you know, starting out, getting their feet wet. But I, I see a good future for them. Well, it sounds like she's a chip off the old block. Luckily, she gets her looks from her mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's usually better when that happens. Yeah, yeah. So thank you so much, guys, for coming in. This Thanks for having a blast. It was our pleasure. Thank you guys for all you do. Brown County Hour is a wonderful thing, and I'm glad you guys are doing it. Well, bless your heart. Yeah, Brown County is a wonderful thing in general. So let's talk about the songs you just performed. Uh, this is a song, Lord Won't You Help Me, from Norman Blake, off the Fields of November album. For those of us who like to flat pick on the guitar, um, he's one of the kings, you know, one of the very greatest that ever was. Yes, no doubt. Great songwriter. Traveling around the country, rambling all the time. Just me and this old guitar, dollar and a dime and a glass of wine. Lord, won't you help me before I lose my mind? Got a little woman way back home, you know what I crave. Say, spend every dollar that I make, drive me to my grave, my lonely home. Lord, won't you help me before I'm dead and gone? Headed down to Nashville town, twenty south, you know. Leaving old Chicago with her eyes of snow, chilled to the bone. Lord, won't you help me ride this greyhound home? Says if I'd get to heaven, mansions bright to dwell. Bad luck always following me around, far right back to hell, just shoveling coal. Lord, won't you help me save a worthless soul?
This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County, Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. The last house in Brown County. Greg Temple used to say, everybody wants to build the last house in Brown County. He meant everybody wants Brown County to stay exactly as it was when they themselves discovered it and moved here. People come here from other places, often urban places, and they are enchanted by the natural scenic beauty and the quiet country charm. Sometimes they start hearing the hill music, the siren call. They buy a little plot of land on some remote hill and start planning their escape to the Brown County life. But here's the thing. We all of us bring with us our own baggage, our own perceptions and ideas and ideals. And worst of all, our own cherished notions of the way things ought to be, which are often the most personal and unique of notions. And this has been going on for generation after generation, as long as people have been discovering Brown County, which is approximately as long as it has been around, about 200 years, give or take. Each succeeding generation of discoverers finds Brown County to be perfection, and they come here and inevitably add their essence, their perspective, to the whole. Their yeast goes in the dough. The whole loaf becomes just slightly different. The pioneers thought as soon as your neighbors got close enough that you could see the smoke from their chimney, it was time to move on to less populated places. Here's something that has always baffled me. People are charmed by Brown County to the point they decide to move here and live here. But as soon as they are established, they immediately set in on changing Brown County to be more like the place where they are from. In a few years, they're complaining that Brown County just isn't like it used to be. Yeah, no kidding. You're here now. People dream of building their fabulous log cabin castle up on some steep hill in some lonely wooded quarter, but then they're irritated when faced with the problem of getting water up there. They are accustomed to getting public water wherever they choose to live. Guess what? Your fire protection insurance rates are going to be higher in a rural county that can't afford to put fire hydrants everywhere. Wouldn't do them any good anyway. The water system couldn't support them. The same gravel roads which were so charming when you were rambling the back roads on vacation become a menace after a few muddy, potholed winters and springs. You can cut a driveway straight up a steep hill, and you can even pave it, but I don't like your chances of driving up it in the dead of winter. I think you're going to be more often walking up it, and in that instance, gravel might be more accommodating than pavement. You can wire up your new Brown County McMansion with one of these automated burglar alarm systems, but as anyone who has spent much time listening to the police scanner knows, the weak link in these often malfunctioning devices is the county's tax base. The taxpayers can't afford to pay for the kind of police protection you're thinking of, like you'd get in the city. The few officers on duty soon learn the relative priority of your malfunctioning automated alarm. All of this is coming to a head with the outbreak of the septic wars last year. 
The scientific fact of the matter is that the kind of soils and terrain profiles we have in Brown County, clay soil in steep hills and ravines and floodplains, is not compatible with the kind of septic tank approach, finger system with a perimeter drain embraced by our legal codes. Translation. Half the septic tanks in Brown County don't work and can't work. When you try to hold them to the actual legal standard, they won't pass and can't be mitigated without major, major investments. Our infrastructure is not like that of an urban area. We really can't support a high-density population except in very specific areas with sewage treatment plants like Nashville and Helmsburg. What is needed is a much more sophisticated, more expensive digester-type sealed system that takes in household waste and emits only potable water. If the septic wars continue along their present trajectory, policy will favor those who can afford these kind of systems over those who hold property now but are not economically able to come into compliance with the new codes. Here's the nut of this age-old Brown County dilemma of the newcomers wanting to change everything. Because Brown County is so poor and offers so little economic opportunity, people who come here from more prosperous areas, who have had a higher median income than we do here, whose homes they sold elsewhere had been skyrocketing in value compared to the market, they come here with an overwhelming economic advantage. In a very real sense, they can afford to buy Brown County and to do what they want with it because people who have always lived here or who have lived here a long time have accepted the economic disadvantage that goes along with living here. I mean, it's a nice place to visit, but there's not going to be jobs for your kids when they grow up. They won't stay here. How could they? There's no economic opportunity. Something like 80% of the county's population works outside the county. If you are in the privileged minority who actually work here in Brown County, you make less money than someone doing the same job in a more affluent area. So, the question becomes, what is the affluent newcomer's vision of Brown County? How much do they understand of what Brown County is and what Brown County means or has meant to we who have lived here generation after generation. I mean, we've got a river district, but where's the river? Are we pretending that Salt Creek is a river for the sake of a few extra liquor licenses? If you don't laugh out loud when you hear that, I can tell exactly how recently you have immigrated to Brown County. In these days of fake history and phony sentiment, we need to discover and cling to those ideals and outlooks that have made us who we are. If we don't know what those are, we should be trying to find out. We'll gnaw on that a little more, now and then, as time goes along. And now station identification. Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at 
wfhb.org. We'll begin with Curry Ray's For a Song, followed by Vera Grubb's interview with artist Darren Redman. Dave Seastrom shares his latest essay, and we have another song from Lucky and the Kid. Welcome to Forest Song. I'm your host, Carrie Ray coming to you from Roast and Toast in the lakeside village of Petoskey, Michigan. I was seven and a half when my little sister was born. Seven and a half years of doing what I wanted, when I wanted, and how I wanted. Of being the master of my little kid domain. It also meant that I spent a good bit of time by myself. Mom used to get Dad's bib overalls from this place just outside of town called the B&B Discount a one-story, low, barn-looking affair, with a tin roof, as I recall. I have no idea who either of the bees were, or what the place looked like inside, for that matter. See, the old man who owned it allegedly had a heart condition, so children weren't allowed. I guess all of that kitty energy might have just been too much for his old ticker to take. Seemed like every other time we went to town, Mom needed to stop at the B&B. We'd roll up in our 1968 Oldsmobile, and Mom would wait until the gravel dust settled to head inside, leaving me, no matter the season, perched on the vinyl seat to freeze or melt to it for what seemed like hours. You could do that sort of thing back then without someone calling the police. And my wise mother didn't worry herself about how I would pass the time. She didn't pop in a DVD or shove a Game Boy or eye something or other in my hand. She didn't even grab a handful of toys to have in the car to keep me occupied. She just left me there, God forbid, with nothing but my imagination to entertain me until she finished shopping. And did I mention that she was always in there forever? More often than not, growing up, I was left to my own devices for entertainment. And it was usually outside, running through the woods, climbing trees, wading the creek, always inventing scenarios around my activity to make the whole experience more mentally stimulating. It was great practice for my creative little mind, but it also enhanced another natural creative tendency, the love of alone time and a drive to do things myself. So as you can imagine, when I was introduced to the idea of co-writing songs sometime after the release of my first CD, Always On, I approached the concept with a great deal of caution. But today, with several co-writing sessions under my belt, I can tell you that co-writing, especially with the right collaborator, can produce great results. Not only the song or songs that are written, but the growth it can bring to your own writing in general. I really lucked out with my first co-write. The writer was a seasoned pro with some number one country chart singles on his resume and monthly royalty checks showing up in the mail. Our first couple of days writing in his Hollywood apartment not only resulted in the songs Your Time and Nothing, but offered some great insights for me as well. I think I had made up that pro writers had some sort of special mojo that made magical chart-topping singles just fall into their lap. 
So it was really encouraging to watch him agonize with me over a single line for a couple of hours. And it was great advice when he said never to settle for a good line, when you can fight a little harder for a great one. There are lots of ways to collaborate on songwriting. From songwriter circles, where writers get together to bounce ideas and songs off of each other with no assumed shared writing credit. To more formal co-writes, where one writer might bring a song that they're stalled on, hoping that someone else can help them bring it back to life. Or that they've written a solid set of verses for and just can't seem to put a killer chorus to it. So they hand it off to get some help. There's also the, hey, let's get together for a couple of hours and see what comes up co-write. However the loner in you decides to collaborate, I encourage you to try it. It's a great way to get a good look at the trees in your own little forest and to get a glimpse of the meadow on the other side. Your homework? You guessed it. Save some creative water and shower with a buddy. I'm Carrie Ray. Join me next time on Forest Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on Forest Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y.com. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Vera Grubbs with the Brown County Hour. I have with me Darren Redman. She's a local artist here in Brown County. How are you, Darren? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for coming in and being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Darren is a very unusual, lovely name. How did you come by it? My parents had my brother and sister, Robin, my sister, my brother Keith, and then I came along and they didn't want names that you could turn into an abbreviated name or a name that would end in I-E or Y. So they did not know that Darren was a boy's name when they named me. I know your specialty is textile art. What training do you have to bring you to this point in your creative career? When I first started making quilts, I joined the Pioneer Women's Club at the Brown County Historical Society and so I made a baby quilt for my step-granddaughter and then my husband and I were traveling in Santa Fe and we learned about textile artist named Nancy Crow and then a few years later she opened up her barn. She started teaching workshops not in quilting but more in art, art design and you're working all in cottons. So I've taken about five classes from her and then I've also taken dyeing classes, some classes from Katie Pasquini Massapust and this was more of, um, we painted on paper and then we enlarged the paper. So your, your training in this art is, came later in your life? Yes, I moved to Brown County in 2000, January of 2000. I didn't start making art quilts and quilts for the wall until about 2005. And it sounds to me like you're very self-taught as well. Yes, I th most of my ideas come from just maybe a photograph or some abstract painters from the 1950s, but I intuitively rotary cut my fabric 
So you think of a rotary cutter like a pizza cutter. So it's a sharp blade and you can cut curves or straight lines. I like to cut curves mostly. And then the shapes come basically directly out of my brain down to my hand where I cut the shapes and then I'll put the shapes fabric onto the wall and just start building a quilt mostly from the center out. We all have our unique reasons for choosing Brown County as our forever home. What attracted you to this area? Well, I met Dave Redman and then we were married. So he was retiring and he decided he did not want to live in the city anymore and I decided I could live anywhere. So we drove all the way around Indianapolis and then someone told him about Brown County and so we drove down here and found some property. How has living in Brown County influenced your creative output? Well, mostly it is the colors, the colors in the summer and the fall. I was juried into a, an art quilt show that would tour the United States and the theme was the seasons. So I picked autumn and I proposed that I would pick leaves from the Brown County trees and mix dye recipes, the same colors as the leaves, and then dye cottons and silks and make a wall quilt. It's now touring the United States with the Studio Art Quilt Associates. And I used my husband's flowers that he's planted here in our home in Brown County as inspiration for all the colors that are in that quilt and it's called Glorious Summer. What are your visions for the arts in Brown County for the future? Well, I'm a member of Art Alliance Brown County, and we were going strong about, oh, five or six years ago, and then all of a sudden some things just started getting slower. We weren't having as many shows or, or, or exhibits, and there was a kind of a few years there we weren't that active. Now, I think they've gotten four or five new members every couple of months. So we have more members for Art Alliance. We have a show right now that's exhibiting at the Brown County History Center. And then there's another show that will go up, Chateau Thomas, and Art Alliance is involved with the Cinefest. So there's a lot going on right now. And I think Art Alliance Brown County will be able to keep promoting the arts and exhibiting artists as members who are involved with crafts. Do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's darrenredman.com. It's D-A-R-E. N-R-E-D-M-A-N.com. Then I have a blog also. I'll start blogging more this summer. I have been chosen as the artist in residence for the Grand Canyon at the North Rim, and I'll be there for three weeks. So I propose to walk to the floor of the canyon and photograph the geology and the rocks and the limestone and the water and the colors, and then I'll hike back up to the rim in one day. And then while I'm there, I'll take the fabric yardage and create textile installation. And so whenever I make a quilt, I usually have the words Brown County in the title. There's one hanging right now at the Brown County History Center in the lower level. It's called Bike Riding in Brown County. And it's a landscape of what I see while I'm riding my bike. You know, I see the brown creek beds and then the yellow yarrow in the fields and then the red barns and the blue sky and then the green grass. This show marks a milestone for the Brown County Hour. This month, we're celebrating five years on the air by presenting episode 40. We're settled in our new studio here at the History Center, thanks to your generous support, and we look forward to bringing you many more episodes. Recently, we've been airing Jeff Tryon's wonderful collection of essays that he calls My Brown County. Jeff was born here, and his family goes back five generations. 
In his essays, he offers his view of Brown County based on that perspective. Jeff has mentioned that everyone who lives here has their own view of what my Brown County means, and I thought I would share mine. I arrived here 38 years ago with a young wife and a five-week-old baby and a heart full of dreams. None of my ancestors were natives. I offer this information because many of us who have spent our lives in Brown County weren't born here. I had the option to live anywhere I wanted to, and it's by choice that I decided to live here. There's a lot of immigrants living here. I'm not sure what the percentage is, but I, I guess we're still in the minority. I was a young man of 23 when my wife and I decided to pull up stakes and move to the county. My job at the time was far away in the big city and I spent the first year and a half commuting three hours a day. During that time, I explored local employment options and I found they were slim to none. The only jobs I knew of involved working for the government one way or the other or finding a position in a retail shop or restaurant. I studied jewelry in college and subsequently I worked for a jewelry store in Broad Ripple for five years. When I had the chance, I took a position as a dental tech in Bloomington, which effectively cut my commuting time in half. All the while, I kept looking for a way to make a living without having to leave the county. Eventually, I discovered a group of folks who work for themselves as artists and craftsmen, and that idea struck home. Over the years, I've been self-employed as a jeweler, drywall guy, carpenter, and builder. Along the way, I discovered that no one moves to Brown County for the money. Most of the best jobs are in the surrounding counties, and that's where many locals find suitable employment. If the economic opportunities are so pitiful, why would anyone choose to live here? The roads are rough, the terrain causes flooding during heavy rain, and there are rattlesnakes in the woods. We share the modern affliction of meth and heroin, which keeps our cops busy and our jails full. We've had years of incompetent local government that's only now beginning to show some improvement. And, if that's not enough, Indiana is determined to cut our state forests down and add a pittance to their coffers as they turn our wildlands into industrial tree farms. This description of Brown County doesn't fit the bucolic image of happy hill people or flourishing artists that's so often portrayed in the media. It is, however, part of the story. We are often described in romantic terms that make it seem as if we live an ideal existence here. And that's the other part of the story. What we have is a beautiful area full of wild landscapes and nature. In my experience, there are more good people than not. And there's a sense of community that's hard to find in modern America. When we go to the grocery store or the hardware, we run into people we know. And usually there's a conversation about friends and family. Our elders in the nursing home, for the most part, know one another and the attendants who work there. We know a lot about each other. Brown County is nothing but a spread out small town and gossip is an important form of entertainment. While some may find this intrusive, it also helps keep everyone on the up and up. As you might suspect, this sharing of information often provides help to those in need. There are so many artists, craftspeople, and musicians that live here, you can hardly throw a morel mushroom in spring without hitting one. The presence of so much creativity has deeply influenced the culture. We see it on the streets of Nashville and in the custom homes so many people have built with their own hands. Because we live so close to nature, we tend to spend a lot of time outdoors. 
We hike and garden, kayak and fish, because we can. And nowadays, there's so much live music in the county, you can always find a friendly venue with good food and excellent entertainment. Pioneer times weren't so long ago in Brown County, and that spirit lives on today. There's nothing cookie-cutter about living here. You have to make your own way to get by, and that's part of what makes our lives so interesting. In short, living in Brown County is about quality of existence. If we continue to work together to solve our problems, it will just keep getting better. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Brown County Vacation. Brown County Vacation. Uh, that's a true story. A friend of mine uh, wrote, you know, a little mishap that happened to him in his front yard. Dickie Jones is his name. Yeah, he wrote the song actually while he was in jail. <laughs> I come and got him, bailed him out, brought him back home, and he's first thing he said is give me a guitar so he grabs up the guitar and just takes off on this thing you know and we were all rolling around the floor laughing at the time he was done with it but he's just that type of guy whenever you go to one of his shows you know you get stand-up comedy along with the music going to brown county on vacation we're gonna leave here on probation all across the courts the only game in town you can't live here like tom sawyer bring your checkbook and your lawyer when you come to visit here in the hills of Brown. It all started last November. Can't forget, I remember. I got caught trespassing while standing in my yard. Well, they pulled her pistols and sat me in a chair and hollered at me. While my girlfriend stood there looking at me hard. Go to Brown County on vacation. Don't leave here on probation. Those cops and courts are the only game in town. You can't live here like Tom Sawyer. Bring your checkbook and your lawyer. When you come to visit here in the hills around Well, off to jail they took me Where they commenced to book me I'm a hardened criminal, you can see it in my eyes Now I remember, well when they took me to my cell, all my friends were there. Imagine my surprise. Go to Brown County on vacation. Gonna leave here on probation. Oh, cops and courts, the only game in town. You can't live here like Tom Sawyer. Bring your checkbook and your lawyer. When you come to visit here in the hills around.
remember if all else fails, this builds some bigger jails when you come to visit here in the hills of Brown. And now station identification. Support for WFHB in the Brown County Hour is brought to you by Plum Creek Antiques, located at the intersection of 135 and 45 in downtown Bean Blossom, where visitors can buy, sell, or trade most anything. More information is available by calling 812-988-6268. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. In our final segment, we begin with the community calendar and we'll listen to an interview with Keith Bradway as he shares his thoughts about 20 years of the writer's group raps. We have a new poem from Gunther Flum. Rick Fedig shares his perspective on life, and we'll close with another tune from Lucky and the Kid. Welcome to the Brown County Community Calendar for the month of July. On Monday the 6th, there is a dinner event at the Historical Society. Saturday the 11th is the Art Walk in downtown Nashville from 5 to 8 p.m. Thursday the 16th is the Raps Writers Group's 20th Anniversary Celebration at the Library from 6 to 8 p.m. On the 22nd, there is a lecture on the concentration camp Auschwitz at the Library at 7 p.m. Saturday the 25th, the Partake Art event featuring watercolors is at the Chateau Thomas Winery. From July 31st through August 1st is the Indiana State Fingerstyle Guitar Competition at the Brown County Playhouse. July 27th through August 1st is the Brown County Fair. And the Farmer's Market continues on Fridays at St. David's Episcopal Church in Bean Blossom from 4 to 7 p.m. And that is the Brown County Community Calendar for July 2015. This is Pam Rader, and I'm here with Keith Bradway, one of the founding members of the local writers group, which is called Writers, Readers, and Poets Society. They meet at our local library. This is their 20th year, and I thought I'd interview Keith and see what he had to say about the group. Keith, it's great to have you here today. Thank you. I first heard about this writer's group by a notice that appeared in the Brown County Democrat uh, late in June of 1955. They were going to organize their group and get started with regular meetings, and this was to be the first meeting they would have. I like to write, especially short poems, and I seized the opportunity to show my efforts to others. My first recollection of the meeting was that I went to the art gallery and outside were two gentlemen smoking their cigarettes before they had to go inside. I said, is this the place for the meeting of the poets group? And Richard Hendrickson said, sure, we're poets. Don't we look like it? (laughs) Somehow or other, I'd always thought that maybe poets looked different than just ordinary people. Inside, Sally Keller Halls was passing out labels for people, and the meeting soon started under Hank Swain. 
Hank had been asked to be the leader for the group, especially at the start, by Vaughn Williamson. It was his idea to get the group going at the beginning. We had 23 people there. Some of them read poems or, or writings that they had done. One person who was there was uh, Cindy Steele, who was starting a new magazine. And she thought that the people in this group would be good people to volunteer their efforts to it. The details of the meetings that are settled on, they would meet uh, every first and third Thursday of the month. This was all at the art gallery, and meetings would last from about 7 to 8.30. At first, they would set up for certain people to volunteer to read, and other people would sometimes criticize them, sometimes merely applaud them. So, Keith, why have you stuck with this group all these years? It gets into a question, I think, of why does anybody want to write and want to succeed in writing? And I think it's because there's this native need to be heard. I remember as a child that my brother was very good at storytelling, and almost every evening he had some story to tell about what had been going on in high school. And I think also of the, the children in grade school, how they used to, uh, if they had they knew the answer, they would hold up their hands and sometimes wave their hands violently in order <laughs> to get called on. So there's this, this urgent need, I think, from a lot of people to be heard in what they have to say. I know I've enjoyed your stories of late that are about you growing up in Brown County. Yes, uh, I've tried to remember all I can about past things because it's something I like writing about, and my children enjoy hearing about how, what was going on when I was a child. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I started with the group, and I stuck with it, so more or less out of habit. I didn't have a whole lot to do outside. I, at the time, was taking care of my wife, who was in a wheelchair. Sometimes she came to the meetings with me, and this was my regular outing twice a month. So uh, that's why I stuck with it. Now, after my wife died, I just kept on. It was habit, I guess, and I still liked writing, and I'm very pleased to have kept at it. So the group is open to everyone. It's still meeting. It's at the library, our local library, on the 1st, 3rd, and if there's a 5th Thursday, from 7 to 9. And this year, I hear we're having a 20th anniversary party, and it'll be on July 16th at 6.30. Well, any advice for budding writers? Keep at it. <laughs> and above all, review your work and dig into it. Make it better than it started out to be. Sometimes I think people, once they get to the end, they think, wow, that's done. <laughs> but it is, usually it isn't done, and you can, you can improve on it. Well, we've enjoyed your stories in the past and look forward to you coming in and sharing one of them again. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. For more details on the Writers Group Raps, go to the Facebook page, Raps, W-R-A-P-S. Here's Everything by Gunther Flum. I know you've heard it all before, but there were things in ancient lore that even though we try today, we can't repeat them anyway, since they used parts from critters found that we today ain't got around. Like we discovered they was fond of mammoth and the mastodon, and so it is that we ain't sure what parts they use to heal and cure. 
But friends and neighbors, have no fear. Since there's a critter we got here that walked our forests, lakes, and shores with reptiles we call dinosaurs. And since they've been here all them days, they've got to have some healing ways that somehow used without compunction in spite of some reptiles' dysfunction. And that's how through my trials and toil that I discovered possum oil. Our possum is the kind of creature that has a most resilient feature that even though they might look dead, they're playing possum there instead, and so they've lasted all these ages by playing dead upon life's stages. And so I knew there had to be, with every possum we could tree, some kind of trick or other ruse we might employ, install, or use to follow possums till we find their cure to help us humankind. And so I set out on their trail and grabbed them by their hairless tail and made them tell me what they knew on how they make their ancient brew that helped them possums to survive by playing dead to stay alive. That's how I came upon the truth that we've all pondered since our youth. For there inside them possums' pouch I found a cure for every ouch, a little bottle hard to get of high-grade oil of possum sweat. Now just imagine my surprise when there I held before my eyes a cure for every ache and ill that I could put inside a pill to raise the dead and cure disease and sell them each for what I please. But here's the parts of my chagrin I had to cut them possum in. Now I admit I thought at first as partners they would be the worst, but I discovered after a while I kind of liked their business style, since most of the day they'd hang around siesta-like and upside down. So every question that I get is how I make them possums sweat. Well, as they're hanging, all I gotta is call them possums all pinata, and without fail or need to boil them possums sweat that possum oil. And I've got bottles hot and mild for every woman, man, and child for every sickness on any place that now afflicts the human race. So every bottle that you buy will only make them possums try to sweat more oil for the fact they think while sleeping they'll get whacked. But hey, don't feel sorry for them. They get all the garbage my neighbors can provide. Feel sorry for my neighbors. Yours truly, Gunther Flum. This might be a surprise to some of you, but I've been thinking... It was a PBS show or something that got me started about the Hubble telescope or the solar system or something. But the vision of a prism came to mind. And light passes through and is divided into beautiful colors. As light and life passes through us as a people or as individuals, what comes out? The second thought was of a magnifying glass, which can make things appear bigger or it can burn a hole in a piece of paper. The macro is everything outside of us, and the micro is everything inside of us. In both realms, what is all that space between the stars and planets, and what is all that space between the molecules and the electrons and protons? Could that be God? Then the word precipice came to mind. And just being an ignorant hillbilly, I thought I should look it up. It took me four times to spell it close enough for the phone to recognize it. The definition is a very steep rock face or cliff, perhaps with an overhanging face, a situation of great peril, example, on the precipice of war. In my life, I know, and I'm sure with some soul searching, we can all look at a personal issue or two where we should either, you know what, or get off the pot. The baby bird that gets nudged out of the nest at the appropriate time, the base jumpers and people with the new bird-like jumpsuits, and the cliff divers in Acapulco. To them, the jump is good, fun, and exhilarating. 
Standing fast can also be rewarding. There is strengthening and building on what we have. There is a security of something stable we can pass on to those after us. A couple can be satisfied with the one, two, or three kids they have, or they can take the plunge and have another child. In my case, I can keep working solo, or I can take the leap and hire some helpers, which would enable me to take on bigger jobs. As a nation and a society and a people who profess to be free and strong and an example of leadership in the world, I feel that we're standing at a precipice of advancing culture throughout the world. So, I have some questions. Will we steward the earth or greedily destroy it? Will we develop our food and water to maximum benefit, or will we plasticize it and degenerate it until it's all gone? We've got the original seven unspeakable words for TV and radio, and now we have an eighth wonder of a word. Now we can no longer utter the N-word. If one says freaking, what word really enters the mind? If we say the N-word, what word really enters the mind? It's language. There are appropriate times for appropriate words. But in contrast, we can watch a teenage girl at a swimming party get beat up by a policeman or another man fleeing and getting shot in the back. We can see this on TV once an hour, every hour for three days. How many gun scenes and blood and tense drama and crime scene investigations do we really want or need to see on TV day after day? Not in our country, but Malali, a mere teenage girl, gets shot in the head because she speaks out toward education for females. Do we want to keep people so enslaved that they owe their soul to the company store or government by way of welfare? Should the police serve and protect or be an extension of the military? As a nation, are we solvers, negotiators, and providers, or are we warriors and bullies? black, white, red, brown, yellow, LGBT? Are we one big family surviving on the face of the earth? Or are we territorial and self-serving? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Try to be like the prison, and as light and life passes through you, try to make it better. For what it's worth, this is Rick Fettig with the Brown County Hour. Treetop Flyer. Uh, Treetop Flyer. That is uh, Stephen Stills off of Stills Alone is the album. Uh, every song on it in, is in drop D tuning. I like that drop D sound. You know, um, just about every song on the whole album is in drop D. I've grew up, you know, listening to Crosby, Stills and Nash like a lot of other people. And that's part of the reason why we done Lucky and the Kids, where we could do stuff, you know. Yeah. It isn't just straightforward bluegrass. Well, I could be a rambler from the seven dials Don't pay taxes Cause I never file I don't do business That don't make me smile Love my aeroplane She got style Tree top fire Bomb survivor Cargo, but you can't pay to run. Bush League pilot, they just can't get the job done. You got to fly down into the canyon, you don't never see the sun. No such thing as an easy run. Treetop flyer, 
low, I'm in high demand. Go 15 feet over the Rio Grande. I blow the muskie right up off of the sand. Seldom see, especially when I land. Tree top flyer. Born survivor. Thanks for tuning in to episode 40 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. You can stream this or any of our shows from our website, browncountyhour.com. While you're there, check out our Woodwatch page devoted to informing the public about the situation our forest lands are facing. This show was produced by Jeff Foster, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank our pal, Slats Clue, for our theme music. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.